Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So good to be with you all this morning. We're continuing our sermon series, concluding our sermon series, Aha Moments, this epiphany season. And we use that word epiphany, right, when we talk about having a moment of insight or revelation, right? I just had an epiphany. It's an aha moment sort of thing. And so during this season of epiphany, it's a season of encountering God and making realizations about him, having aha moments. Now, for the most part, we've been journeying through that first part of the Gospel of Matthew, and even going back to Christmas from the birth of Jesus to the Magi to his baptism to the calling of the disciples to Jesus beginning to preach about the kingdom, about his reign in our lives. We've had a bunch of aha moments along the way, a bunch of realizations And so today, we are well into the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount, it starts with Jesus giving us the blessings of Beatitudes. We did that two weeks ago. We saw that in our gospel reading. Last week in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminded us of our identity as kingdom people, that we are salt of the earth and light of the world. It's really interesting because when you take that metaphor of salt and you really apply it from, the old, from Jesus' day to today, really Jesus was saying that we are the extremely vital, important necessity for the life of the earth. For me personally, that was a huge aha moment because that's humbling, it's empowering, and it's giving purpose to life. And so today we continue to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. It was read just a moment ago. But before we dig in, I'd like you to think a little bit. I want to ask you a question. If you want to get really into it, you can close your eyes. What do you think of when you think of God? What picture comes to mind when you imagine what God is like? Now, it's a bit tricky, I have to admit, because even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we see that Moses, he wanted to see God, but he only got a glimpse of the trail of his glory. St. John in his gospel says, no one has seen God. But I suspect that many of us, we carry around a picture of God in our minds. And that picture sort of shapes what we expect from him. How we think about our faith and maybe how we think about each other, what we think about our God. I bet that if you engage the typical person out there, maybe on the street, maybe in some churches, maybe even in this room today... A common picture of God is someone who makes rules, and he enforces the rules. He's an angry lawgiver. Maybe an image like this. Sitting in heaven with a finger and a stern look of warning, maybe accusation, maybe sort of an old, mean, stern Santa Claus. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. You better be good for goodness sake. The second part of that picture that many would adhere to is that since he's old, man, God's old, he's outdated. He's irrelevant. He's out of touch with the modern times. He's as irrelevant as modems, faxes, and beepers. Anybody know what those things are? (laughs) And for those of you who don't know what those are, ask Siri later. She'll tell you, all right? (laughs) At first glance, Jesus' words from Matthew may appear to give this sort of picture of God as an angry rule-giver and judge. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. 
that my friends is definitely law. But I'm pretty sure that each of us in the room today, we think that that's pretty good law, right? Not only do we think we should keep that law, but we really want others out there to keep it, right? Because we don't want to be the recipient of that sort of behavior. And when you kind of look at it that way, you see that maybe, maybe the law isn't a bad thing. And the law and the rules and the instructions we have in life, when viewed in the right context, maybe they're actually truly gifts to us. You see, when the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites, it was after they had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. It was after that they were declared God's people. Same thing in the Gospel of Matthew. First, he sees the disciples. He sees them, and he goes after them, and he calls them to follow him. That was completely countercultural in Jesus' day. No rabbi, self-respecting rabbi, would go out and call his disciples. they got to come to you. They belonged. They were in. They were following Jesus. They're part of the family. God's laws, God's rules, God's instructions, God's guidance, they aren't the way that we become God's people, nor are they the way that we stay God's people, nor are they the way that we earn his love. He already loves us. That's why he made us his people. It's why he made us his disciples. It's why he adopted us into his family. Family. Good family. My wife and I, we have three kids. And there is nothing they can do to change that, right? We've loved them before they were born. We love them now, and we will never stop loving them. Nothing is going to change that forever. But we've got rules for them, right? I mean, when they were young, the rules were like, don't stick your finger in the outlet. That's a pretty good rule, right? As they get older, don't punch your sister in the face. Love each other, ask for forgiveness, take care of your friends, be nice to your teachers, be nice to everyone, respect your grandma, etc., etc., etc. We have rules. And those rules are meant to protect them. Those rules are meant to allow them to truly live their life as members of our family. And as they grow up from being infants to adolescents to adults, that's what St. Paul was getting at in our epistle reading today. He was telling the Corinthian believers that they were being fed spiritual m- milk, but he was telling them, Corinthians, you know what? It's time to grow up. And in many ways, Jesus is telling us in Matthew 5, in our text for today, the gospel, he's telling us, he's encouraging us that maybe it's time to grow up. And I bet that's one of the big aha moments for some of you in the room today. No matter how old you are, how young you are, God may be calling you to grow up in the family a little bit today. You see, because infants, they drink milk and someone else feeds them. Adolescents, they feed themselves, they eat real food, but adults, adults feed themselves and real adults feed others. I remember when we had our first kid, it was like, oh yeah, it's time to grow up, right? We had to actually feed this child, feed another human being. Not just physically, but emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, socially. That's what family does. Good family. And so our family, our Father, our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus, our Lord and older brother and their spirit, want us to grow up. They have advice for us. They want to teach us. They want to guide us. They want to mentor us. They want to show us what it means to live and be part of the family. 
And so Jesus unpacks that murder commandment, and he says this. He says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then he says, if you call your sister or brother names like raka or fool or jerk or whatever, that's not the way to go. You see, when Jesus shares these words, he's going deeper. He's going below the surface. He's getting to the heart of the matter. He's going beyond taking a physical life to our hearts, and he's talking about what's going on deep in here. Anger. He calls out anger. He calls out name-calling. He calls out demeaning other people. He calls out slandering them to their face or behind their backs or whatever. And when you see it that way, you realize if you ever thought God was irrelevant, Jesus is talking about murder, anger, name-calling, slander, and demeaning others. Now, I don't know about you, but I've observed all of those things just this past week. Out on the playground, in the news, in politics, in our families, on social media, and right here in my own heart. Then Jesus, he turns from what not to do, and he says, here's what you ought to do. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. I mean, there's a lot that Jesus is telling there, but one big thing Jesus is saying, he's telling us that reconciling with other people, tending to the relationships, nurturing the relationships in our lives is just as important as worship. And then he begins to talk about reconciling with your enemies. He's basically saying, what about this idea? What about making a friend out of enemy? That's when we start to see that the law... God gives us is not just a gift to sort of guide us as God's people, but it is here to strengthen our community. It's here to orient us away from only looking to our own selfish needs to looking to the needs of our neighbor, because that's what growing up is, right? As a child, you only care about yourself, but as an adult, you begin to care about others. In fact, there's a book out there called Your Best Life Now. But I think if Jesus wrote that book, he would write Your Neighbor's Best Life Now. Jesus moves from the negative, don't murder, to the positive, nurture relationships, even with your enemies. And then he tackles an actual tangible relationship problem that was happening at the day 2,000 years ago. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. My friends, if you ever thought Jesus was irrelevant... I'm telling you, man, we think sometimes 2,000 years ago words are irrelevant because we got all this technology, but these words of Jesus right here are so relevant because the things that are happening with human trafficking and on the internet and with smartphones and in our minds and in our hearts, even amongst our own children, Jesus loves us enough to say, be careful because this stuff can destroy you. In fact, he says in the next verses, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Do whatever you need to do to get help in this area. As a pastor, I'm here to tell you if you're struggling in this area, reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to one of our other pastors. Reach out to Molly Schneider, our prayer and care coordinator. Reach out to our Celebrate Recovery community. Write it on your your connect card, turn it in and say, I need help, and we will get you help. We'll get you connected with a way out because Jesus wants that for you. 
because Jesus cares about you and the relationship you have with those you love. That's behind what Jesus does in verse 31. He takes it to the next level. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. These words that Jesus said were radical. I mean, in Jesus' day, women had no rights like they do today. And our own nation isn't immune. It wasn't until the 1910s that most states didn't even allow women to vote. And so 1,900 years before that, Jesus is calling out the men of Israel and their treatment of the women of Israel, their own wives. And Jesus is saying, come on. Come on, guys, it's time to grow up. Let's restore what God has intended for marriage. Because in Jesus' day, men were divorcing their wives for whatever reason they wanted to. Even if they didn't prepare a meal, they wanted it in a certain way. And I'm telling you, that's abuse. That's abandonment. And they would kind of justify it. Well, I wrote a certificate of divorce, so everything's fine. Well, maybe their wife would have a chance at making it. But in many ways, their lives were destroyed, let alone what happened to the children. Jesus is calling out husbands and saying, you're called to love your wives, to honor your vows to them in marriage. It's time to grow up. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, in line with that, Jesus talks about the power of our words. He says, you have heard that it was said that people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But Jesus says, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Now, what's going on there? I mean, it's kind of confusing, right? But you look at the context and you research, you see the rabbis in Jesus' day, they had developed this highly structured, intricate hierarchy of oaths. And really they did it because they wanted to find a loophole of getting out of the things they swear to do. Because if you swear by something that was lesser than God, like the earth or your mind or a city or whatever, well, you didn't have to keep your word as much. Jesus is saying, let's grow up. Let's be honest. Let's be trustworthy. Let's be people of our word. Let's grow up. Let's be so responsible that people know that if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In light of marriage, Jesus was calling out the husbands, and I would say he's today calling out the wives. He's calling out all spouses, saying, it's not good to just divorce your spouse for whatever reason you come up with. Remember your vows. Many of you spoke your vows right here. I remember speaking my vows right here, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. That's the heart of all these words of advice, all these rules, all these instructions, all these guides that Jesus is giving, it's love. Yeah, there's a lot of law, there's a lot of rules, there's a lot of instructions in our gospel reading today, but I'm struck by how relevant they are for us today and for the things that we are struggling with as a society, as a church, in our school, in our families, in our hearts, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. I mean, if you ever thought God was irrelevant and some distant lawgiver, I'm struck by how these 2,000-year-old words speak to everything that we're going through today as a people. In fact, 23 years ago, a guy wrote a book, and it kind of proves the point. Did Jesus use a modem at the Sermon on the Mount, written in 1997? Nice graphics, huh? 
That's a computer for you young people, just in case you don't know what those <laughs> look like. I know, it looks huge, doesn't it? And listen to this poem in this book. Did Jesus use a modem at the Sermon on the Mount? Did he ever try a broadcast fax to send his message out? Did the disciples carry beepers as they went about their route? And da, 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 da. I mean, talk about lame and cheesy and weird, right? It's outdated. It's only 23 years old. Totally outdated. But Jesus' 2,000-year-old sermon speaks directly into our lives. On the surface, he's talking about murder, but he's really talking about anger and name-calling and demeaning other and where our hearts are. On the surface, he's talking about adultery, but he's really talking about lust and self-control. On the surface, he's talking about divorce, but he's talking about women's rights and husbands' responsibilities and oaths and promises and keeping our word in marriage and in all of life. And these words are given to us today. They're given to us as children in a family. We have been adopted into the best family ever. And our loving Heavenly Father, He wants to protect us. He wants our community and our families and our marriages and our relationships with each other to be whole and filled with life, but not just that, but to be a blessing to the world out there, but so many people need it. He wants our hearts in the right places. He wants us to grow up. And so he gives us a few instructions. And my friends, that's not so bad. Now we could end the sermon there. But perhaps the most profound aha moment part of this whole thing is the radical love of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The radical love that has brought us into this family. Hear me out on this, friends. Despite the fact that we murdered his son... The Father still adopted us. Despite the fact that we cheated on him and went after other gods, he remained faithful to us. Despite the fact that we've broken our vows in our marriages, in our lives, and in the people around us, and to God, he's kept his vow. He's kept his promise. From the beginning to the Old Testament and the New Testament to when Jesus comes again, that promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And my friends, his promise remains true. My friends, that's an image of a loving father. Not an irrelevant lawgiver, but a father who's smiling and spending time with his kids and reading with them and guiding them and holding them and loving them and living life with them. That's the image of God the Father that we want. That's the image of God we want. He's a loving father, he's the best big brother, and he's the comforting spirit. And so he gives us a few instructions to make our lives better. Our God's radical love and guidance, it's scandalously good and provocatively true. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's